The next few Mishnayas talk about multiple examples of laws that were taught on that day, referring to the day that Rabbi Elazman Azariel became the Nossi, the head of the Sanhedrin, which is the main based in the main court of the Jewish people, and he replaced Rabban Gamliel, who had been the Nossi, the leader of that Sanhedrin until then. And the reason for the significance of that day is that Rabbi Elazman Azariel introduced a policy to allow anybody into the Beis HaMedrash Anybody who wanted to learn, not only the most elite students who were totally genuine, and since so many new students were able to enter in and learn, they settled many laws that were not clear until then. Be it as it may, the laws are not necessarily related to each other, they're not really related to the Masechta either. And this particular Mishnah is also taught at the beginning of Maseches Zavochim. Omru, on that day that Rabbi Lazman Azara became the Nasi, they taught the following law. Any of the karbonis, the sacrifices that are slaughtered, not for the sake of that particular carbon for which the animal is being bought. For example, if somebody is bringing a carbon oiler, which is a particular type of sacrifice, and the Kohen who slaughters the animal has the intention that he's slaughtering it for the sake of a different carbon, like a carbon shalomim, which is a different type of carbon. Although, ideally, this should not be done, kasherim, the sacrifice would nevertheless be valid. However, it would not work... It would not count towards an obligation that the owner, the one who bought the carbon, was obligated to bring. For example, if he was obligated to bring a carbon oilar, so although that wrong intention does not invalidate the sacrifice, it does mean that this will not be counted towards the carbon oilar that he was obligated to bring, and he would be obligated to bring a replacement. The truth is, this doesn't only apply to the slaughtering of the animal. There are four main parts of the procedure of bringing a regular sacrifice. Slaughtering, catching the blood which squirts out of the animal as it is slaughtered, transporting the blood towards the Mizbeach, and throwing the blood towards the Mizbeach. And the law of the Mishnah applies to any of those four stages if the wrong intention is had. Chutzman ha-Pesach minachatos. The exception to this law is a carbon Pesach or a carbon Chatos. A carbon Chatos is a type of sacrifice brought to atone for one's sin. If the one who is performing a part of the procedure of this sacrifice has the intention that it's a different carbon, it's a different sacrifice, that would actually invalidate the carbon. So not only would it not count towards the obligation, it would also invalidate the entire carbon. And that means that if the procedures haven't yet been carried out, they should not be carried out because the sacrifice has already been invalidated. The Mishnah adds that at HaPesach Bismanoi, this applies to a Korban Pesach only during its right time on the 14th of Nisan, Erev Pesach, the day before Pesach. That's when the Korban Pesach is offered up. But if somebody brings a Korban Pesach throughout the rest of the year, the truth is it actually just has the status of a Korban Shalomim, which is a similar type of sacrifice. And since with regards to a carbon shalomim, even if one has the wrong intention, it does not invalidate the carbon. So one who brings a carbon pesach during the rest of the year, eh, it's considered a carbon shalomim, and therefore the sacrifice would not be invalidated. But v'achatos, with regards to that which we taught for a carbon chatos, b'cholzman, 
that applies during the entire year, because regardless of what the time of the year is, it's always considered to be a carbon chatos. Omer Beliezer says, Af Osham. Even a carbon osham, which is a different type of sacrifice that is also brought to atone for other types of sins, even this sacrifice would be totally invalidated if the person performing one of the procedures had that wrong intention. So it emerges that there are three sacrifices that would be invalidated by this intention. A Pesach Bismanoi, a carbon Pesach during its right time on Erev Pesach, Vachatos Vashem Bechalzman, and a carbon Chatos and a carbon Osham at any time. These laws are learnt from Psukim, and according to Rebiliezer, although there is no explicit teaching with regards to a carbon Osham that this is the case, since a carbon Osham is very similar to a carbon Chatos, and the Torah itself compares the two, so Rebiliezer understands that in this regard as well, a Osham shares the same law as with regards to a carbon Chatos. Omar B'Shem ben Azai, B'Shem ben Azai said, I received a tradition from the mouth of 70, the 72 judges who were part of the Sanhedrin, the main court of the Jewish people, on the day that they appointed to be the Nasi, the head of the yeshiva, the head of the Sanhedrin, and he taught an almost identical law to that which the Mishnah has taught until now, with one small difference. Any of the sacrifices that are eaten, if they are slaughtered for the sake of a different sacrifice, the carbon, the sacrifice would still be valid. It just wouldn't count towards his obligation. Except for a carbon pesach or a carbon chatos. And the Mishnah explains that Ben Azai essentially only just added one more sacrifice to the list of ones that are invalidated, and that is a carbon oila. The vast majority of sacrifices are eaten. It's only a carbon oila that is not eaten. So by Ben Azai adding that word, sacrifices that are eaten, so he's just limiting it to exclude a carbon oila. So it would emerge that according to Ben Azai, a carbon oila which was slaughtered or one of the other procedures was carried out with the intention that it be for a different type of sacrifice, that would be invalidated, just like a carbon chatos and a carbon pesach. Nevertheless, the chachomim did not agree with Ben Azai's ruling. This Mishnah talks about tithing. And with regards to the various tithes that a farmer is obligated to separate from his produce, each year, it depends on which year it is. There's a seven-year Shmita cycle. The seventh year is called Shmita. It's forbidden to work the land, and all of the produce in one's field is Hefker. It's ownerless during that year. And as such, the laws of tithes do not apply. There's no obligation of tithing during the Shmita year. During the other six years, one is obligated to separate Truma, which is a portion of the produce which he gives to a Koyen, and Maserishan, which is a tenth of a produce which he gives to a levy, and the third main tithe depends on which year it is. During the first, second, fourth, and fifth years, one is obligated to separate Meister Shani, which is a tenth of the produce, and this tithe is actually not a gift to anybody else, but the owner himself can eat it, but he must eat it in Yerushalayim. The produce has sanctity, one is not allowed to allow it to become impure, and he needs to bring it up to Yerushalayim and eat it over there. During the third year and the sixth year... Instead of separating a tenth and bringing it up to Yerushalayim to eat himself, he gives a tenth to the poor. And that's called Meiser Oni. So to summarize, we've got two years of Meiser Shani, which is a tenth which he separates from himself and brings up to Yerushalayim, followed by one year of Meiser Oni, which he gives to the poor. And then again, two years of Meiser Shani, 
followed by one year of giving a tenth to the poor, and then we have the seventh year, which is Shemitah, during which no tithes apply. According to the Torah, only that which grows inside of Eretz Yisrael itself is obligated in tithes. However, there are certain areas outside of Eretz Yisrael, for example, Bovel, Babylon, where many of the Jews of the time of the Mishnah lived, and they would travel pretty often from Eretz Yisrael to Bovel and vice versa. And in order that people in Eretz Yisrael don't come to be lenient in these laws... They instituted the Nevi'im, the prophets, towards the end of the era of the first Beis HaMikdash. They instituted that produce that grows in Bovel is also obligated in tithes. The same tithes that apply in Eretz Yisrael apply over there. A number of years later, towards the beginning of the era of the second Beis HaMikdash, the Chachomim, who were around then, it was already after the period of the Nevi'im, the prophets, had ended. But the Chachomim, they instituted that in Mitzrayim, Egypt, as well as in Amoin and Moyov, they, also the produce that grows there would be obligated in tithes. These areas are very close to Eretz Yisrael. Be it as it may, in all of these areas that are that require tithing Midirabonon, the Chachomim and the Nevi and the Prophets, they did not institute Shemitah to apply in these areas. Shemitah means leaving the land for an entire year and not working it. In Eretz Israel, there's a promise from Hashem that if one observes the laws of Shemitah, then he won't have any problems with his sustenance. However, outside of Eretz Israel, it would be very difficult to observe the laws of Shemitah, and therefore they do not apply. But since the laws of Shemitah don't apply, that means that the produce is not ownerless during that year, which means that it really should be obligated, it should require tithing, just like the rest of the years. The question is, which type of tithe should be the third one that is separated? In general, there's a guideline based on that which the Torah requires. During the first, second, fourth, and fifth year, they separate Meister Shani. And during the third and sixth year, they separate Meister Oni for the poor people. But what about the seventh year? There's no Torah obligation of tithes during the seventh year that we're able to model off to define and decide which tithe to separate during during the seventh year in these areas. Now, the people who asked this question, they did know, and it was remembered that... In Egypt, in Mitzrayim, they had originally, when they made this decree, they decreed that Meiser Oni should be the tithe to separate during the seventh year. Again, this is all in, in addition to the Trum, which is given to the Koyen, and the Meiserishan that's given to the Levi. We're talking about the third type of tithe. And the reason why they decreed such in Egypt was, is because since Egypt was very close to Eretz Israel, this would be a sort of source of income and sustenance for the poor people in Eretz Israel. As well as that, they knew that with regards to Bovel, which was far away from Eretz Yisrael, the tithe that they had originally decreed for the Shemitah year was Meister Shani. And as the mission is going to explain, this is quite logical, because the cycle of the Torah is always that for two years, and really for, for most of the years, one separates a tenth as Meister Shani for himself. It's just that after two years of separating a tenth for yourself and bringing it up to Yerushalayim to eat for yourself... The Torah says after two years of doing that, so there should be one year of giving it to poor people instead. But since during the sixth year, they gave the tithes to the poor people, so logically the next year, which is the seventh year, the Shemitah year, we should go back to what is generally done, and that is separating a tenth as Meister Shani to bring up to Yerushalayim and eat himself. 
Now, so they remembered what the tithing process had to be for Mitzrayim, Egypt, and for Bovel. But Amenu Moyov, with regards to the tithing in Amenu Moyov, Mahin Bashvias, they wanted to know what is the third tithe that they need to separate during the Shemitah year. Is it Maestro Shani, just like in Bovel, in Babylon, or is it Maestro Oni, just like in Mitzrayim, as we explained? So the Mishnah says, Gozar Bitarfain, which literally means that Erbi Tarfain decreed, but we're going to understand that it means that he told them that this is what originally was decreed, that Maestro Oni, the tithe should be Maestro Oni for the poor people. The Gozar Bilozman Azario, but Rabbi Lozman Azario said that the decree was that Maestro Shani should be separated. On Rabbi Ishmael, Rabbi Ishmael said, Lozman Azario, Alech It is upon you to bring a proof for your opinion that they would separate Maestro Shani, Sha'ato Machmer, because you're the one who's being stringent. Even though it's true that Maestro Shani is given, is for oneself. So in that sense, it's not really a stringency, quite the opposite. But what Rabbi Shmuel means is that Maestro Shani has sanctity, one is not allowed to allow it to become impure. The laws with regards to Maestro Shani are more stringent. And because of that, he says, anyone who is being stringent, he's the one who needs to bring a proof for his opinion. The logic for this seems to be that since, in general, with regards to rabbinic laws, if we have a doubt, we are lenient. So over here, that we're unsure what the decree was, so we would naturally be more lenient. If you are being stringent, you're the one who would need to bring a proof for your opinion. Omar Rabbi Lozman Azariah, Rabbi Lozman Azariah said back to Rabbi Yishmael, Yishmael Ochi, my brother Yishmael, Anilo Shinisim Seder Ashonim, I'm not the one who changed from the regular pattern of the years. Tarfain Ochi Shino. Tarfain, my brother, he's the one who changed. As we explained, logically, since the sixth year, one gave the tithes to the poor people, so the next year should go back to the regular process or and the regular order of separating a tenth for oneself to bring it up to Yerushalayim. And therefore, my opinion is the logical one. So for Olive Ryder Lame, Tribute Tarfan is the one who needs to bring a proof for his opinion, which seems to be illogical. And indeed, Heisher Rabbi Tarfan, Rabbi Tarfan replied with his logic, Mitzrayim Chutzalaretz, Amunimov Chutzalaretz. Egypt is outside of Eretz Israel, and we see that the Chachomim made a decree with regards to that area, and likewise, Amunimov is outside of Eretz Israel, and the tithing obligation is also one that was decreed by the Chachomim. And the reason why I say that in Amenu Moyov, the tithe should be Maestro Oni, is I'm, because I'm basing it on that which there is in Egypt. Just like in Egypt, the Shmitoyer requires the tithing of Maestro Oni. So to Amenu Moyov should require Maestro Oni during the Shmitoyer. Heishiv Rabbi Elozman Azari, Rabbi Elozman Azari replied, what are you talking about? Doesn't really help us because Bovel Chutzel Aretz, Bovel is also outside of Eretz Israel, and the Chachomim decreed a tithing obligation over there, and Amunimov Chutzel Aretz, just like Amunimov is outside of Eretz Israel, and they made a decree over there. So let's compare it to Bovel. Ma Bovel, Meister Shani Bashavis, just like in Bovel, the tithing obligation during the Shemitah year is Meister Shani, which is the tenth that he takes up to Yerushalayim and eats himself. Af Amunimov, Meister Shani Bashavis, so too the tithe in Amunimov during the Shemitah year should be Meister Shani. Um, Rabbi Tarfin, Rabbi Tarfin said, let me explain myself. Why do I think it logical that Amunimov should share the laws of Mitzrayim, Egypt, because Mitzrayim, Shehi Kuroiva, Egypt, since it is close, it's nearby to Eretz Yisrael, that's the reason that Asa Uha Meister Oni, the Chachom said that the tithe during the Shemitah year should be one for the poor people, so that the people in Eretz, Shehi Yisrael, Nisroch, and Leba 
so that the poor people who live in Eretz Yisrael would be able to be supported by that tithe during the Shemitah year, especially since during the Shemitah year in Eretz Yisrael, they wouldn't be receiving the regular tithes that they receive, because there's no tithing obligation during the Shemitah year. So too, af amunumayov, shem karevim, amunumayov, that are also nearby to Eretz Yisrael, the same exact logic applies, nasim maister oni, we should require the tithe to be Meister Oni during the Shemitah year, so that the poor people in Eretz Yisrael can be supported by it during the Shemitah year. Now, this obviously does not apply to Bovel, to Babylon, because that's very far away from Eretz Yisrael, and that's why in Bovel I agree that the logical tithe would be Meister Shani, just like the order of the years would dictate. However, in the same way as we find that in order to support the poor people, they changed the regular order of things, and they said that the tithe in Egypt that should be separated during Shemitah should be for the poor people, the same logic applies for Amon Amoyov. Omar Loi Rilazman Azariah, Rilazman Azariah said to Rabbi Tarifain, It's as if you are giving the poor people a monetary benefit, but in reality... You're just causing death to people's lives because the Posok implies that there will be great punishment if people don't observe the laws of Meister Shani correctly. You are stealing away from the heavens the bringing down of dew and rain. Shanema, as the Posok says, can man steal, so to speak, from Hashem? Because it's as if you are stealing from me. And you'll say, how have we stolen from you? It's because of the Meister and the Truma, the tithes. And in the same way as Truma is a sanctified tithe, we understand that the Meister that the Posuk is talking about is also a tithe that is sanctified, and that refers to Meister Shani. Because the tithe that is given to poor people is not considered to be sanctified, it's like regular food which does not have sanctity to it. It's just one of the gifts that's given to the poor people. Be it as it may, Rabbi Elilozor ben Azariah is saying that we have no right to, out of doubt, to start giving benefit to the poor people, because if that's wrong, then it's very severe not to observe the laws of tithing correctly. Om Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua now stepped in, and he said, Harini I'm going to answer for Rabbi Tarifin, my brother, I agree with his opinion with regards to the law, but not with regards to his reasoning that he gave. I think there's a different reason why we should compare the tithes in Aminumayov to the tithes in Egypt. Mitzrayim, Maisachadosh, the decree with regards to the tithes in Egypt is something that is new, meaning it's a decree that was made in the times of the second Besamikdash by the Chachomim who were around at that time. Ubovel, whereas the tithes that are, that are required in Bovel, Maisiyoshon, is as a result of a decree that is older. It was made by the prophets in the times of the first Besamikdash. And the matter that is in front of us with regards to the tithes in Aminu Moyov, Maisiyoshon, that was made at the, it's also a new decree, and it was, that decree was made at the same time as the decree with regards to the tithes in Egypt. So, we should learn the parameters of this new decree from the other new decree that was made at the same time. And we shouldn't learn the parameters of the new decree that was made later on from a totally different decree that was made years beforehand. In addition to that, the tithing obligation that was made in Egypt was instituted by the Chachomim, the Tamid Chachomim of the generation, the most righteous 
Torah leaders and they have the ability to make decrees that are permanent. On the other hand, the decree of tithes that was made in Bovel in Babylon was made by Nevi'im, prophets who only have the ability to make temporary um, decrees. And the matter that's in front of us, the tithing obligation in Amenu Moyov, was made by the Zekeinim, the Tamid Chachomim, who have the ability to make permanent decrees. So it's the same type of decree as that which was made in Egypt. So that's another logical reason that Yidon Maise Zekeinim Maise Zekeinim, we should learn the parameters of one decree that was made by the Chachomim from another, and we shouldn't learn the parameters of this permanent decree that was made by the Chachomim from a temporary decree that is of a totally different nature that was made by the prophets. And indeed, Nimnu, Vagomru, they made a vote, and they came to the conclusion based on the vote that those who are in Amunumov are obligated to separate Maeser Oni for the poor people during the Shemitah year, just like in Mitzrayim in Egypt. When Rabbi Yosem and Dormaskis came to Rabbi Yezer in the town of Lud, Omar Loi, Rabbi Yezer, asked him, What was new that was taught in the Beis Medrash today? Omar Loi, he replied, They made a vote and they came to the conclusion that the people in Amunumov are obligated to separate Maeser Oni during the Shemitah year. Bach Rebbe Yezer cried of joy, Omar, and he declared, he exclaimed, the Pasuk in Tehillim, Soid Hashem Liyareyov, Hashem's secret is given, is with those who fear him, of Risoilohidiyom, and he will let his covenant known to them. As he goes on to explain, say the Emer Elohim, go out and tell them, don't be concerned and worried about your vote, because you've definitely come to the correct conclusion. Because, I have a tradition from that heard from his teacher, who received this tradition from his teacher, all the way until Moshe Rabbeinu, that he learnt this at Har Sinai from Hashem. Now the truth is, this obviously is not true, because we're talking about something that was decreed later on, during the times of the Beis HaMikdash. The point is that this tradition that I have is as reliable and clear as if it came from a Halach HaLomesh that the places of Amunu Morov require the Meister Oni tithe during the Shemitah year. On that day, again, the day that Rabbi Lozman Azara became the leader... Yehuda, who was a convert who converted from the nation of Amoin, he approached, he came into the Beis HaMedrash, he stood in front of them in the Beis HaMedrash, Omar Lohem, and he said to them, What is my status with regards to whether I am allowed to marry into the congregation of the Jewish people? Am I allowed to marry a regular person who was born Jewish? Omar Lohem Gamliel, Gamliel said to him, you are forbidden to marry a regular Jew, as the Mishnah will go on to explain. Omar Rabbi Yeshua, but Rabbi Yeshua told this convert called Yehuda, Mutarata, you are permitted to marry into a regular Jewish family. Omar Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Gamliel said to Rabbi Yeshua, HaKosuv Omer, the Apostle explicitly says, Hashem, a person from the nation of Amun or Moyov may not come into the congregation of Hashem. 
They're not allowed to marry into the Jewish people. Gamder Asiri, even a tenth generation from that nation, meaning even ten generations after somebody converted to become Jewish from the nation of Amun Moyov, the Gomer, etc., we see that it's totally forbidden for a convert or even a descendant of a convert from Amun Moyov to marry a regular Jew. Omar Loyer Bishua Bishua replied to him, are the members of the nations of Amunu Moyov in their original location? Sancheirev, the king of Assyria, already went up, and when he conquered many of the lands, he mixed together all of the nations. Shinemar, as the Pasuk says, Sancheirev says about himself, Amim. I have removed the boundaries of the various nations, I've taken over their treasures, and I've brought down those who lived in strong, fortified places, who was boasting of his power, and the fact that by resettling the inhabitants of all the different areas, which was one of his tactics, he managed to essentially make all of the boundaries that had previously existed between countries almost irrelevant. Omar le Raman Gamliel. Raman Gamliel said to him, HaKosov Omer, the Pesach says, This is a prophecy that Hashem said that I will, after that, return the captives of from from the nation from the people who are part of the nation of Amain. So, assumingly, they've already returned back to Amain. And if we can assume that somebody who converts from the nation of Amain, who is there today, is indeed descended from the original nation of Amain. Omar Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua said back to him, why are you assuming that they've already returned and that that prophecy has already been fulfilled? Hakos of Omer, the Pesach, also says, I will return the captives of the Jewish, of my people, the Jew, of the, the Jews, and they haven't yet returned, we're still in exile. So too, this prophecy with regards to the nation of Amain hasn't yet come to fruition. And therefore, we can safely assume that the people who live in Amoin today have no one, have nothing to do with the original nation of Amoin. And indeed, Hitiruhu Lovebakohol, they therefore permitted Yehuda, this convert, to marry into the Jewish people. Mishnah Hey, the Mishnah now returns to the subject of Kisya Kodesh, scrolls of Tanakh that Midrabonon make one's hands impure. And the Mishnah teaches that Targum Shabbat Ezra Shabbat Doniel, the part of the books of Nach, Ezra and Doniel, there are certain parts of them that are written in Aramaic, which is not the regular, most sanctified language that is Lashon HaKodesh, the language in which the Torah is written. Nevertheless, it's a proper part of the books of Nach, and therefore, Tamei Saradayim, that part would also make one's hands impure. Even if there's a scroll which has just that part written on it, as long as there are enough letters, it would make one's hands impure. Targum Shekhsove Ivris a part that is supposed to be written in Aramaic, but somebody translated it into Hebrew, the Ivris Shiksavi Targum, or a part of the Torah that is supposed, or Nach, that's supposed to be written in Hebrew that somebody wrote as the translation into Aramaic, or Chsav Ivri, as well as a scroll that is written in Hebrew script that is not the script that the Torah is written in. Chsav Ivri is a very ancient script, but it's not that which the Torah is supposed to be written in, and therefore, in Imtamisayodayim, these scrolls that are written like that would not make one's hands impure. And the Mishnah summarizes, scrolls of Tanakh would only make one's hands impure if it is written in the Torah script, on proper parchment that is valid for a Sefer Torah, and with permanent ink, just like a proper, valid, holy scroll.